on the very idea a philosophy podcast hello everyone today there's a uh, uh, rain a lot of uh, intermittent heavy rain and uh, well you know that's okay it's uh, early September, and I'm listening to Ian Shapiro from Yale, his uh, YouTube course on politics while typing this out. It's uh, quite nice, really nice if you're interested in politics, but uh, nauseated by the daily news cycle. Anyway, perk those ears up. I'm going to play a game. I'm going to say a quote by a philosopher, and you try to identify said philosopher within five seconds. Here we go. Philosophy is at once the most sublime and the most trivial of human pursuits. Ooh, very brief, but sounds accurate. Here we go again. Philosophy is at once the most sublime and the most trivial of human pursuits. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, time's up. Those wise words were from American philosopher William James, that affable father of pragmatism with apologies to Charles Sanders Peirce and also father of American psychology. Great writer, brother of novelist Henry James, they often said William was the better writer. The poor guy suffered from depression and psychosomatic illnesses his whole life, but, you know, he seemed a very humane, almost upbeat writer for a philosopher. And there's a bit of truth in what he said about philosophy there. When I tell people that I studied philosophy in school, there's always, uh, you know, a bit of respect from others, but you can tell they're putting you in yeah, a bit of the weirdo category, you know, for, you know, somebody who's getting their MBA, perhaps, or whatever. On that note, on that note, on to the main of the episode. Today, I'd like to talk about Hilary Putnam and his essay, or his lecture, uh, Realism with a Human Face. Realism with a Human Face is the name of one of his books also, but there's no way I'm going to tackle that. I'm just going to go stick to his one lecture with that title and hopefully just be able to at least, you know, touch a bit on some of the central ideas. Actually, the one big central idea, according to me. So in that lecture, he talks about quantum physics, which to, you know, can be completely honest, I have only the most basic understanding of, the most basic understanding. Uh, basic understanding might be a gross overstatement. Let's just say I heard of the term and the thing about the cat, you know, the Schrodinger's cat. So please 
hold no illusions. But I think together we can understand his greater philosophical points. And his essay is one of the things that I like best about uh, philosophy. I, I think it's kind of philosophy at its best. At its best, philosophy can dip into other subjects, be it quantum physics, history, cognitive science, uh, linguistics, what have you. It can dip in and make some observations and come out, making the reader feeling very special and above all those other disciplines by, you know, being a philosopher, being able to see those subjects in a kind of a meta way. But hey, you know, it's, uh, you know, you feel above it, but it's only in a very superficial way. Uh, But hey, sometimes that feeling of superiority is, you know, very nice for a philosopher. You know, we need it. Philosophy is a discipline where in the last century hasn't been very kind. uh, You know, the last century hasn't been very kind to philosophy with those diminished job prospects and the baggage of being perceived as, you know, somewhat antiquated. And your parents sometimes confusing it with uh, psychology when they talk to you about it. Now, anyway, enough of that. Hilary Putnam was an American philosopher, someone who is, was in the American pragmatist tradition and is widely respected by many philosophers. He just died uh, a few years ago in 2016. He worked uh, on a lot of problems that you might say would fall into typical analytic philosophy, uh, like meaning, problems on meaning and problems of logic. He's considered incredibly well-read. His influence uh, ranged widely across many fields of thought, including mathematical logic, philosophy of mind and language, epistemology, and metaphysics. This is uh, a line from his obituary in the New York Times. It's really quite nice. Uh, In the world of contemporary philosophers, Professor Putnam was known for the breadth the breadth of his thinking, the vividness of his provocative arguments, and his penchant for self-questioning and willingness to change his mind. He died in 2016, and that's quite a nice uh, quote to have said about you. He's been called one of the greatest philosophers that America has ever produced by Martha Nussbaum, and she even compared him to Aristotle in terms of his range of creative and foundational contributions. He was a very good assimilator of ideas from a wide variety of areas. And here's a fun fact, a little fun fact alert. He went to the same high school as Noam Chomsky. Mm. At the same time, they were contemporaries. Uh, both were, uh, you know, big leftists, as I'm sure you're aware of with Chomsky. Uh, I'm sure those guys together in the same high school must have been gotten up to some crazy hijinks and shenanigans. Oh, high school days. Now, actually, here's kind of a funny story. Putnam had a break with the Progressive Labor Party, an offshoot of the Communist Party, one of the many radical leftist parties on American campuses in the early 1970s. You know, the, the Weather Underground, uh, all these, uh, well, they're not a party, I guess they're more a terrorist group, but... Uh, Anyway, but there's a lot of leftist causes that all tended to splinter up in the early 1970s, late 1960s, the heydays of hippies. He was once a member of the Progressive Labor Party, but uh, then he became disillusioned and quit. Nothing remarkable about that. It happens all the time. But on the very next week, his wife, 
Also a philosophy professor, great, uh, great uh, philosopher, Ruth Putnam. What does she do? You know, after he quits, she joins that very same party the, uh, that he quit the week before, you know, the, the Progressive Labor Party. Considering the party is quite obscure and probably had about 50 members total in the whole country, you know, it was quite an odd move, you know, um, to join the party that he just quit. I could not find out why she decided to become a tight knit, uh, to become a member of a tight knit, uh, obscure party right after her husband quite publicly uh, quit the party. But, uh, you know, all the joys and intricacies of uh, marriage. Getting into his lecture, Realism with a Human Face, Putnam starts with a discussion on quantum mechanics. And he wants to do a discussion on how we should interpret those quantum mechanics. Uh, what is the best way to see it in terms of science in general? He starts by differentiating it with classical physics. You know, the physics of Newton that we all know and love and can actually understand. Classical physics offered us a complete view of the universe. Both the observer and the observed were accounted for in the calculations. There was nothing left out of the system. It's neat and tidy, no hanging chads. In contrast, any application of quantum mechanical theory requires in addition to the system being talked about whatever is being studied there must be an apparatus or an observer which is not included in the system doing the measurements the observed is in the system but the observer stands outside it an offshoot of this principle is this means and perhaps uh, you've all heard this before that the observer changes the reality of the situation or the outcome in quantum mechanics. A further consequence to this observer being outside the system is that phenomenon in the quantum mechanical framework is fundamentally unpredictable when an observer is present. On a quick aside here, I like the additional feature Putnam uses. Uh, when he says uh, apparatus, apparatus, not just uh, observer. So it doesn't actually have to be a person looking at it. I think that's an important point to keep in mind. It could be a tool taking a measurement uh, is all that is required. I think it's an important consideration that measuring tools are as observational as, you know, human eyes in science. They are mediators, and it's important to understand uh, that science is not direct observation, but mediated by tools in an instrument-rich context. There's some uh, Bruno Latour for you and a little kick of the naive realists to boot. Since quantum mechanics requires that this apparatus or observer outside, I repeat, outside the system, then no quantum mechanical theory can be about the whole universe. There must be something standing outside the studyable phenomenon. There is a cut between the system and the observer. According to that you know, famous physicist Niels Bohr, every property of the system is considered to have meaning and existence only in relation to a particular measuring apparatus in a particular experimental situation. It is all 
relative. Though, let's not confuse this with the philosophical relativism lest we get into the whole Sokol hoax territory. Eh, eh, be careful. Now, so part of the appeal of Newton's physics, classical physics, is that you could have a theory of the whole universe. So, Newton's physics had a certain type of visualizability, visualizability, according to Putnam, and this had tremendous appeal. It gave us what we wanted from a theology or a philosophy or a worldview, namely a God's eye view of the whole universe, a position where we could be able to see everything working within our gaze. Vision is included in uh, grand deterministic. This type of vision is included in uh, grand deterministic theories like that of the 18th century philosopher Laplace. According to this uh, ambitious determinist, if someone knows the precise location and momentum of every atom in the universe, their past and future values for any given time are entailed. They can be calculated from the laws of classical mechanics. It is the idea of the universe as a giant mechanical machine and if you're a materialist that's convenient for you because yeah you can see yourself as just a subsystem in that giant machine a cog if you will yeah uh, and you can see why it is such a noble dream the dream is highly relatable i think to an academic the ability to predict the ability to be able to account for everything if everything is included there are no more paradoxes left to solve and Putnam claims anyone who has ever done work, experimental or mathematical, with a real scientific theory must have felt this dream. I love Putnam's uh, sympathy here for a theory, the God's eye view, that he doesn't agree with. It's very human, and though he thinks it is an error, it is an error. It's a romantic and perhaps uh, noble mistake. I like that sentiment. Yeah. So there's a lot on the line when we give up this uh, God's eye view, this uh, idea that we can have a theory of the whole universe. Now, um, and you can see why it's a noble dream, uh, the dream to understand anything, and Putnam has quite a bit of uh, sympathy for it. Now, I'm going to do a quick aside here. A few years back, uh, there was, uh, do you remember back about... 8 to 10 to 15 years ago, there was a lot of debates between atheists and uh, religious people, uh, quite public debates with uh, people like uh, Sam Harris and uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, Daniel Dennett, I guess, was there with them, and uh, they would uh, do battle with creationists. And at the time, uh, pop psychology or pop philosophy, I guess, I, I don't know what genre you would say it was, but it's kind of like the journalistic take on academia, they were trying to develop uh, theories to explain the difference between religious and scientific people, or scientifically minded people. Um, and so there was, this there was this idea, I think this bad idea going around in journalistic psychology, uh, and they said the thing that differentiated religious people from scientific people was the idea that scientists could tolerate uncertainty and vagueness in their thinking, in their life. And religious people could not tolerate uncertainty and lack of clarity. 
So scientists could tolerate uncertainty and vagueness, whereas religious people could not. In other words, religious people required order in their universe. Scientifically minded people did not. But that always kind of stuck with me as like complete crap. Uh, you know, if, if you know a lot of, you know, academics or just familiar with their writings, um, and scientists in particular, like mathematicians and scientists probably strive in a way that is found in no other group of people to impose order and predictability upon the world. I mean, that is the scientific worldview to impose order and predictability through quantifying things. I would not want to drive on a bridge built by a team of engineers that were, uh, you know, comfortable with notions of uncertainty and vagueness. That'd be quite a scary experience. And on the other hand, on the other side, religious people, they tend to tolerate a great deal of vagueness and mysteriousness in their worldview. I mean, I, th I think that's what religion is basically, kind of looking at mysteriousness. Um, you know, look up the YouTube clip of uh, Bill O'Reilly, if you really want to really want to look at Bill O'Reilly, um, when he says, uh, tide goes in, tide goes out. There's a kind of funny clip from his uh, show. It's not meant to be funny, but it's uh, him trying to describe the tides with not exactly engineer-like precision. That probably, you know, maybe this all goes without saying what I'm saying here. And uh, that idea, that was probably just a bad trend that was going on in about 2013, 2014 on Twitter and the world of pop journalism and probably doesn't need to be mentioned here. Anyway, sorry about that. It just kind of got under my craw at that time. Let's get on with it. Okay, let's uh, let's stop there. Uh, there was a little discussion on you know Putnam's view of the state of quantum mechanics, um, and. Uh, We'll get into that some more next time and uh, also get into a problem of logic that Putnam thinks has some similarities with the problems uh, that uh, face theorists working in quantum mechanics. Anyway, thank you for getting through that with me. Uh, thank you for listening. Okay, bye-bye. On the very idea, a philosophy podcast. Mm -hmm.